Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. Before we get into our talk today, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience of Smith Weekly, including Gordon S., Paul M., Andy J., and Cindy W. We have on Christian Malau, CEO and Director of Equinox Gold Corp., a gold-focused producer and developer that has multiple mines and develop, development projects spanning California, United States, to Brazil. The company is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol EQX, and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol EQXFF. The company also has listed warrants on the Venture Exchange under the symbol EQX.WT. Christian, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks very much for having me. Uh, my first time, I'm excited to be here. Christian, tell us a bit about your background and what attracted you to the publicly listed natural resource mining and exploration sector. Yeah, I mean, my background, I guess, originally, I'm a, I'm a chartered accountant and an ex-investment banker, and I've worked... Um, you know, in Vancouver, Toronto, London, around the world, and um, really got exposed to resources when I came back to Vancouver. And it's such an important part of the Vancouver business community here. It's, there's a real capital markets and vibe for creating smaller companies and trying to create companies that grow into mid-tiers and larger companies over time. So really, when you come into this market here, and I came from a background that was a little bit transactional oriented and, and finance oriented, um, you marry the two up, and in a way, mining fits really nicely when I'm an ex-banker back in Vancouver, and mining is one of the main uh, sources of business here. And mining is such an international business, and it's got so many different cultures and influences and uh, opportunities that it's just a really exciting um, environment to be involved in. And I got back to Vancouver, I think it was in 2007, and I got involved with New Gold back in the day, when we were originally just creating New Gold on a three-way merger and was there for those early years of growth. And then in 2011, I ended up at Endeavor Mining, kind of in a similar place, but I moved back to Europe. Um, and basically we had bought one gold mine and we grew it into a five gold mine company. And then I came back to Vancouver and joined True Gold and we were gonna build another company, but we ended up turning around the one assets and, and building it and then selling it to Endeavor in the end. And now this is kind of that fourth venture where um, we started out with one asset in Brazil to basically rebuild it, capitalize it, and then build a company around it. We're sort of two and a half years into that venture as a team here. And so it's been pretty exciting times. It's tough to do in these difficult markets, but there's a bit of light and gold in the last few weeks. What is going on in the gold equity markets as far as sentiment, capital deployment, and prices? Where are we on the chart and where do you see us going in the coming years? Yeah, I mean, it's. I still remember the days in 2013 where we had, I think it was a Friday and a Monday around Easter and the gold price fell like a hundred bucks almost a day there. Uh, it was a pretty tough time and it, it really hasn't recovered to those levels until maybe today. I haven't even actually checked, but um, it's been a pretty tough four or five years for sure. Um, number one issue really is raising capital, advancing projects and, and actually delivering on growth um, strategies. And I think uh, we're starting to see the light here. The, the equities really haven't followed yet, although in the last few days, I would say they're starting to perk up. Um, the gold price has been okay, you know, in that sort of 1250 to 1350, now 1380 range. 
And, you know, gold mining companies can make money at that level. Um, I think they can also finance certain projects or certainly the good ones. And I think you're just starting to see some of those generalist investors and, you know, some of the speculative money that was in cryptocurrencies and cannabis, et cetera, starting to come back into our space. So it's been a long time. I think a lot of people have been patient and we're hoping that maybe it's starting to turn that corner now. Um, one really good anecdotal bit of evidence for me was literally, I think, 10 days ago when that gold started to jump over 1300, I think it hit 1340 on that Friday uh, a week ago. And um, basically, we had a big generalist investor come in and buy about 4% of our company uh, off of one of the other uh, shareholders. So we saw someone finally talking about investing gold and actually acting on it and buying a gold stock who's not normally a gold investor. So I think you're just starting to see the, the tip of the iceberg there. So you've decided, just looking at some of your directorships and some of your uh, management roles, you've decided to spend the large bulk of your time with Equinox, focused there. Uh, why did you decide to take a position that you are in at Equinox, and who was instrumental in getting you over to Equinox? Yeah, I guess it was the summer or April 2016 when we sold True Gold, and myself and four of the other management team members um, obviously built a good partnership and bond, and we were sort of looking for assets company situations where we could go into that we could contribute our time effort uh, we're all sort of in the i would call it mid to late 40s maybe early 50s um maybe a generation or two younger than some of the people who've been around for a while in our sector and been very successful and we felt we could go in and help turn something around and raise the capital even in these difficult markets and i think finding management teams that are willing to invest their own capital number one but get together and stay together is, is tough sometimes and we actually were looking at a number of assets. We kind of bid jointly with uh, a few other investors and, and financial parties. And we were actually pitching something to Pacific Road Private Equity, who is, um, I think they're four or four and a half percent shareholder in us right now. Uh, they were almost a 50% shareholder of Luna Gold back in the day. And they actually asked us when we were talking about another asset, whether we'd be interested in getting involved in Brazil and in rebuilding and basically fixing the asset they had down there. Um, and we went down to take a look and we actually fell in love with the asset and we thought it was an absolutely fantastic, fantastic property. Felt very similar in terms of the rock, the geology, the climate, the mining environment as we'd been working in West Africa for about seven, eight years before that. Um, and you think back in time, those, those areas actually used to be joined up um, many millions of years ago. And so we thought, wow, this is a great project for us. It's got a good capital sponsor who's going to help us turn it around. And Two and a half years later, we've done a couple of mergers, and now we're a three-asset company. Can you give us just kind of a, an overview uh, of the company for the audience who may not be aware of the company? Um, go ahead and give us an overview, and then we'll start to get into it. Sort of very sort of high level to start. We, we're an America's focused gold mining company. We're, we really are focused on gold. And 18 months ago, we sort of set a sort of clear strategy, vision, direction, I guess, when, when Ross Beatty got involved with the company. And... Basically, we want to be a growth-focused company, which was probably a dirty word at the, the bottom of the cycle for gold. But Ross is very much a guy that, that invests counter-cyclically, buys things when no one else wants to buy. And, and I like to think that I'm on the, the same wavelength. I just don't have the same capital base to do it. But we put all of our own money in. We got Ross involved. And then we basically put together a company that has uh, one producing mine in California called Mesquite, which we bought off of New Gold for about $150 million late last year. Um, it's a mine that's been producing for about 30 years and it's got a, a shorter life to it, but it's a big heap leach mine sort of out in the desert in California. Um, got us into production at the end of last year. We wanted to be producing gold 
And then the second one we got into production literally is weeks ago, May 14th, we poured gold in Brazil at Arizona. And that's a past producing mine that will now produce roughly 130 to 40,000 ounces of gold per year, which is the same scale and size basically as mesquite. So we now have two mines that are two ends of the barbell um, that basically will get us close to, you know, 300,000 ounces a year on a run rate basis. And then we also have a really exciting project also in California. So we're becoming a bit of a Western U.S. focused company as well that is called Castle Mountain. Again, another past producing mine. There's a bit of a theme here. Um, it's been reclaimed, but it still had its permits in place. And we plan to put that into construction and ultimately production next year. So we can uh, have three mines actually up and operating next year. So we think that we're really building some scale, some leverage to the gold price, a nice diversified asset base. And we're very much focused on growing this company to really target roughly, we say a million ounces a year on average of production. So we will need to acquire a couple more assets along the way. So how about company structure? Uh, we've You've mentioned just a couple of the notable shareholders. Uh, can you highlight the, the those shareholders and others on the roster that you'd like to mention? How many shares are out and what key management would you like to mention? Yeah, in terms of, of the structure, so we have basically 550 million shares. I, we are listed on the venture exchange, as you noted earlier. Um, I'm not sure if we're the largest company or certainly the largest mining company on the venture exchange. So one of our goals this year with the scale that we now have and, and the liquidity that's coming into our stock recently is to seek a U.S. listing and also to graduate to the TSX um, full main board. And so I think we're now a very U.S.-focused company. We do have a lot of U.S. Um, investors, and I think we're also of the size now that should be graduating to those types of exchanges. So we plan to do that this year. Um, we have... Basically, in terms of shareholder base, our largest individual shareholder is Ross Beatty. He owns about 12% of the company. Richard Wark is probably number two at give or take 6% of the, the company. They've worked together before and been very successful in their own right and together as a team. And so we have almost 20% held by two extremely successful entrepreneurs who have deep capital markets experience and pockets to help us with this strategy. And then our smaller shareholders tend to be on the entrepreneurial basis, groups like Lucas Lundin and his group, David Lowell, you know, some great names in our industry. So we're really excited about having that. And then we're just starting to get the institutional capital into our structure. So BlackRock came in late last year and they own about 5%. This new shareholder is a generalist, just came in literally a week ago, owns about 4%. Um, and then we have Pacific Roads uh, owns about four and a half percent and then we really fall off to smaller stakes for institutions so we really think it's an opportunity for institutions to start looking at us as a gold name uh, for their portfolios and then on the other side of it which is really another new addition this first half of this year is we've actually totally refinanced our balance sheet uh, restructured it we used to have project finance funding for Arizona and Brazil and an acquisition facility for Mesquite in California and those were separate debt structures that didn't allow cash and capital to move between our assets. So it was really tying us up in knots and obviously higher cost of capital because when we started out, we were a one development company, one asset development company. And so this year we were able to refinance Sprott, which was a 10% coupon debt with a 5% convertible note with Mubadala, which is uh, for $130 million. They're the sovereign wealth fund of Abu Dhabi who were looking to partner with someone like Ross Beatty to grow a gold mining company. And they've come in and basically totally refinanced to cut that interest coupon in half and are there to support us with capital for the future as we want to grow. And then also we took that mesquite loan that was down at the California level and moved it up to corporate. 
And so the group of banks being Scotia, Bank of Montreal, Societe Generale, and ING are basically big corporate mining banks that will help us grow as well. But they've brought all of our financing up to the corporate level, cut our interest rate and coupon, and made the flexibility within our structure much greater. So we think we're extremely well set up now in terms of shareholder base and our partners for funding for growth. Well, I think this is worth n noting again. So over here at Smith Weekly, we cover Equinox and uh, we have uh, the uh, shares, I believe, potentially in two different portfolios. And so I think it's important for the audience to realize that the, the listing is a, is a nice key piece of information, uh, really good timing in my view on that. Getting your cost of capital down to 5%, it doesn't get much lower than that. So I think that's fantastic. Great job on kicking out Sprout at that higher rate. I, I like that. Uh, that's fantastic. And, and then, of course, I want to highlight, too, the really an assemblance of an all-star team in this company, the association with Illumina Group, Ross Beattie, and just the entire team there is really fantastic. So I really like how you guys have set that up and, and, and great job as you guys have uh, got this coming out of the gate. So I want to move to uh, Arizona uh, in Brazil. Final commissioning is going well, I, I assume, and operationally, uh, are you comfortable with the production capabilities at the mine and everything is looking good? Yeah, uh, so we poured gold May 14th. We're probably a quarter late on pouring gold, so we're a little disappointed with that um, and disappointed in ourselves. We got caught out with rains during the final electrical installations and our scheduling got slipped a little bit there and um, we had a little extra piping and, and uh, instrumentation work at the end. But we got there in May, poured gold, and since then, I guess we're probably getting close to 40 days since then, um, the mine has ramped up extremely well. Um, we've basically, within the first 30 days, it, I think, sort of 75% of expected throughput, which is fantastic. Uh, so it took us about four weeks to get up to kind of levels that are very close to that commercial production level, which, you know, if all goes well and we continue on this sort of trend, we hope that in maybe it could be as early as early July, we're announcing sort of commercial production. So that's a pretty darn quick ramp up. So yeah, very excited and pretty happy with how it's ramped up. Okay. And where are we at in terms of self-sustaining cash flows? I know we're probably not there yet, but with, uh, do you see the company with the current financial situation, do you see the company needing to raise more capital in 2019 uh, to get that self, to that self-sustaining point via production? Or do you feel like that's sometimes a little bit of a function of the prevailing gold price over the next year or so? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, a bit more of a complicated question or answer as well. Um, because for us, we do want to grow and we, we really want to make sure that we're on a, a fairly fast track here. You know, Ross has set a pretty tough and tight timeline to grow this to a million ounces by 2023 or end of 2023. So we do need to add a few assets and we need to build our Castle Mountain project. So um, along the way, there is the opportunity or potential that we will need some capital. Now, we are turning the corner here with the two mines in operation now that uh, cash will start coming in rather than going out, which is a nice thing to see. Uh, but we do want to get building on Castle Mountain sometime this year. So in a sense, it'll depend on how long we want to wait to start building that, what the gold price is ultimately, and what our funding flexibility is. But it looks like uh, we've just about closed the final close on our uh, debt refinancing here. We just had to register security in Brazil and, and do a couple other bits of paperwork, but we're almost there. So we may have that flexibility in the portfolio and in our balance sheet uh, structuring at the moment to fund it. Uh, but I don't want to say we won't raise capital in the future, just in that we do want to grow the business and we want to acquire other assets too. Absolutely. And it makes sense if, if there's a, if there's a need to 
if there's a value creation going on and, and there's a need to finance, it makes sense and to, to go ahead and get it done and get it over with. Uh, regarding production expansion and development, I want to see if I can get squeeze you a little bit to get a timeline out of you on on your production levels and so forth over the next three years. Now, to get to that 2023 end year goal of a million ounces, can you give us kind of a timeline and strategy of really how you get there? Sure, sure. So our, our two producing assets being Mesquite and Arizona, you know, Mesquite probably has a more variable level of production, but it's produced over the last 10 years between 110 and 150,000 ounces. So that kind of range is probably a good thought or thinking point. And then Arizona is scheduled to be doing about 130, maybe 140,000 ounces at current sort of production run rate levels. And those two will make up a big, large chunk of that, obviously getting close to that 300,000 ounce mark. Um, then you add in the Castle Mountain phase one, which should be in production at some point in 2020, probably second half. Uh, that can produce about 50,000 ounces in that first phase. It's a small starter kit, I guess, to get the mine back into production. We do have to behind the scenes do a little bit of permitting and uh, access some more water wells to build phase two, which is actually the big phase for Castle Mountain, which will produce 200,000 ounces a year. So between Mesquite and Arizona, you have almost 300. Between the second phase and adding the second phase of Castle, you can potentially add another couple hundred. So that's getting it close to that half a million type mark. And that will take us a few years beyond putting the phase one back into production at Castle. So, you know, that within that 2023 um, framework, we should be able to get up Castle up and running as well. So we've got the three core assets to start, which kind of gets us halfway there. But then we do need to add assets. We made it really clear to get something like a million ounces, we will need to add probably a couple of assets at least, you know, depending on the size of them. So we are actually going to start looking again at acquisition opportunities um, in the second half of this year. You know, and our target sort of range tends to be 100 to 250, 300,000 ounces of production. Anything much bigger and probably the majors are more likely to be the buyers. Um, there are a lot of single asset developers out there and single asset producing companies and assets will get spun out of bigger companies. So we really think it's achievable to add a couple more assets as well as finish off our construction pipeline here. Okay. And with Arizona, with the potential expansion there, by 2023, do you see Arizona really helping to kick that number up? Is there is there some stuff there that has yet to be unveiled and and determined as far as the expansion? And so, do you see that really is kind of playing a, a a good chunk as things continue to ramp up and expand? Yeah, actually, that's a good point. I mean, I didn't even touch on that, but we do look at Arizona. We've got I think 13, 1400 square kilometers there, really prospective ground, pretty close to our current plant site. And we've already identified a couple of areas for expansion, both being underground underneath our current pit, as well as an extension along strike. And both of those individual areas could potentially double the mine life of this current mine, but also potentially if you go underground, you're gonna increase the grade. So you could increase your actual production level, even without increasing the plant size or throughput here. So it could add to it. I mean. You know, certainly when we talk to Ross, you know, we'd love to make it a quarter million ounces a year rather than 130 to 40, which could partly come from higher grade from underground, but also maybe expanding the plant at some point um, in the future. But that isn't in the current works because we do need to do more exploration, do some studies on the underground before we kind of commit to that expansion potential. But it's definitely there. 
with this expansion work, uh, you know, company looking at other assets, is kind of all, everything on the table as far as jurisdiction? Uh, is there any interest in Canada, uh, other places? Uh, can you mention some, maybe some jurisdictions that you guys are looking at? The map that we use in our, our corporate presentations generally is, is a really good one to look at. It tends to be the Americas. Uh, that would be our number one focus. And we probably are starting to narrow it down a little bit more. And, and you know, South and Central America, Ross built Pan Am Silver basically in those countries, including Mexico, I guess, um, over the years. Um, I've been involved with a lot of assets in the U.S. and Canada and also in South America. So we really are leaving it pretty open in the Americas. I mean, places like Venezuela are pretty tough to do business these days, so we're unlikely to end up there. Certain parts of Argentina can be really tough to do business. Uh, but most of the rest of, you know, South and Central and North America are pretty open to to business. So uh, I would say, yeah, we're open to Canada. At the moment, I think Canada's a little bit tougher in the sense that you do see um, higher prices being paid for assets there. You look at Atlantic Gold was just bought out for, I think it was close to $800 million for basically a just less than 100,000 ounces of annual production. Um, it does have a good cost base and potential to expand it or to grow it. Um, but you see the price levels being pretty high in Canada these days. People are paying up and the Australians have certainly come in and bought a few assets recently have set that bar pretty high. Yes, ab absolutely. So now that we've kind of got this high level major consolidation done at the high level with, with your, uh, your Rand Golds and, and Barracks and Newmonts and Gold Corps, Regarding the majors and their appetite for absorbing mid-tiers, when do you think that'll pick up and what qualities do you really see these big guys going after? Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens as the cycle does turn up. Um, as we all know, this is a very cyclical um, industry and business and quite often the capital flows in almost at the wrong time. You know, People start throwing money in as gold price gets really high and marginal projects start getting built. So it will be interesting to see if the majors use a little more restraint as they grow. And I think a few of them actually have done some good things at the bottom of the cycle with cleaning up their balance sheets, you know, shedding a few assets and doing a little bit of M&A when actually the prices are more reasonable. So it will be interesting to see whether it's the mid-tiers that merge to actually become the next major or whether you see some majors buying a couple of those mid-tiers. But irrespective of all that, I think there is a gap in our space because you haven't had a lot of exploration and development over the last five to seven years you're going to end up with a few of these super major companies, which I think we already have almost. And then you've got a few mid tiers and then there's a kind of a gap there. And um, I, I'm not sure whether they're going to go and buy. I suspect you'll see one or two of them buy out a couple of the really strong mid tiers, but they are being fairly disciplined and looking for those bigger, longer life, high margin assets that fit into their portfolio. Um, so maybe the discipline will be a little bit greater this cycle. Well, it seems that Equinox is kind of, getting itself set up for that uh, that potential situation that uh, it would be on the radar of, of the bigger guys. So it'll be interesting to see how that continues to play out. I want to go back to California for a moment. Have you found Imperial and San Bernardino counties to be reasonable with Castle Mountain and Mesquite? Yeah, well, interestingly, there's probably four or five New Gold people here that originally when we bought Mesquite at New Gold back in the day, and uh, I guess it was 2008 or nine there, um, we got pretty comfortable with obviously the asset and, and the location and you know california has had a lot of past due operating mines it has a number of current mines and we find that uh the counties have actually been pretty good and, and don't forget california is very different on the actual left and west coast versus some of the inland areas and 
really we're in kind of deserts and I would call it, there's not a lot of industry other than agricultural in certain parts of the Imperial Valley there and actually jobs and job creation and, you know, responsible asset development, I think is seen as a very important uh, uh, growth sector for them. And so we're kind of welcomed almost. I think we have some of the best jobs in Imperial County and we tend to be the same in San Bernardino County soon here. So um, we've seen pretty good reception. Um, one of the benefits too is, both of these are past-producing mines from the 80s and 90s, so also people know what's, what they're getting. These aren't brand-new greenfield mines in the middle of nowhere. This is something that's been there before, and we're just resurrecting them or keeping them going. Well, you're probably in the last uh, maybe potentially two good counties in California for mining, so so well done on that part and, and well done with the selection of the assets. So there are a number of mid-tier producers out there today why is Equinox superior and why should investors be taking a stake in Equinox Gold today? What would you say to potential investors? Well, one of the biggest things that I think we've really taken to heart here is, you know, as a board and as management, we are owners of this business. Um, when we sit down at a board meeting, our largest shareholder is our chairman. And I think it's a really powerful message, you know. Um, one of the key things he said to us when we first got together was we're going to sweat every share we issue from now on. Um, you know, these aren't just free shares to throw around to either management or to do acquisitions with. When we buy something, we evaluate, are we getting more value than we're actually basically paying for it, whether it's cash or whether it's shares. Um, and we do kind of have a similar philosophy when it comes to management compensation, where we expect people to be owners. Uh, we have all bought shares in the market, in block trades, in financings, and Ross has done exactly the same. And basically, Richard Wark, who's um, our second largest shareholder, has done the same. So um, there's that, that culture and philosophy. And I, I do look around our sector and other sectors, and I wouldn't personally, and I do invest in a lot of resource stocks, invest in stocks and companies where owners are not also part of management because uh, you treat it differently. You, you treat it as though it's uh, your baby in a sense that you have a personal vested interest in delivering some good results on. And so you share in the upside with shareholders. And I think it has a really big difference. And look at Ross's track record over the last 20, 30 years. I mean, he's delivered fantastic value to shareholders and he continues to put his money to work where his mouth is. Um, I think that's a huge differentiator. And then we've taken a very aggressive early stage growth focus when I think growth has really not been a popular word in our sector. Most people have been downsizing, restructuring balance sheets, paying off debt where we're sort of doing the opposite and saying, hey, the time to grow and actually create a business is when actually the cycle's down, gold prices lower, companies are cheaper, and when you have access to capital. And I think we've been able to do that because a lot of people say they want to build an asset and then grow a company, but how many actually achieve it in our sector? And I think over the last two and a half years, we've gone from a one unfunded development asset now to two producing assets and a third one that is basically to go into construction very soon here. And um, I think that's a real differentiator is having sort of delivered on that and being owners of the business. Well said. I agree. Christian, how can investors reach out to the company for more information? Obviously, we've got our normal website and, and uh, Twitter account and Facebook uh, channels, and we do embrace that sort of new social media platform. But I think that one of the cultures here, too, is as, as an owner, and as a manager, I think myself and Relin, who's our head of investor relations, and Greg Smith, who's really corporate development and investor relations. We are very open to also uh, receiving questions directly, to having conversations, to talking people through it, through our story. And um, really all investors are important to us, uh, not just the big institutional funds, because 
we're small guys too. We understand what it's like to be an investor in a company and not be a big investor. So uh, it's a very open door policy when it comes to that. So literally just calling us or emailing us, we'll get a response that I can assure you. Well, Christian, we really appreciate you taking the time and sharing the Equinox uh, story in progress with us today. Thanks very much. I appreciate being here.